Well, Pastor Brad, who is our senior pastor, is on a uh, much-deserved vacation this week, and so uh, you're stuck with me again. Um, so I didn't introduce myself earlier. I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist, and um, for these last few months, we've been going through the different values that we have as a church. And so this week, we're going to continue going over the value that we have of marriage. And as we get started this morning, I wanted to share a story about something that happened to me in my marriage um, real early on. My wife and I had only been married for a short time, and in my eyes, I thought everything was going really well. Yeah. Uh, And then she came up to me one day, and and she said, we need to talk. Ooh, is right. Now, we all know that when a wife comes to a husband and says, we need to talk, she isn't typically coming up to the husband and saying, you are an amazing husband. She isn't typically coming up to him and saying, you are the most handsome man on this earth, or in my case, the strongest man on this earth. No, typically when a wife is coming up to a man and saying, we need to talk, there's a couple of thoughts that start to go through the husband's mind. The first one that went through my mind, which I'm sure for you guys have had the same one, was, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And second is, what did I do to get here? And so those thoughts were going through my head when my wife walked up to me as I was trying to figure out, well, why is it that she wants to have the talk? And as we sat down and we started to talk, well, let me rephrase that, as I started to listen and she started to share, what happened is his tears started to well up in her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? You've let me down. And now no husband ever wants to hear from their bride that he let her down. And so what happened is, for me, the thought started to run through my mind of, well, what did I do to let her down? And at this point, I was starting to feel terrible. And as she continued to just express her heart, the tears that were welling up in her eyes started literally pouring down her cheeks. And she very clearly and very simply said to me that I've let her down by not leading her spiritually. And you know what the worst part was? She was right. Now you have to understand something about me. I'm a fixer. If there's something that's wrong, I find four, five, ten different ways to be able to solve whatever problem it is. And so for me in this moment, I wanted to fix it. But I was stuck. There was no solution for the problem that was in front of me. There was no answer that I could give my wife to make her feel better in that moment. And all I could do was look into the eyes of the woman that I had committed my life to spend with and say, I'm sorry that I've let you down. And all I could see from her in return was disappointment and pain. See, God created in every single woman that is married a desire to be led by her husband, a longing to be connected with her husband more than just a physical connection more than an emotional bond, but to be connected with her husband with a spiritual intimacy with God that words pale in comparison to be able to describe. A woman longs to be connected to her husband with a depth of spirituality. Yet for me, in the conversation that day and for the days, even the weeks and the months to come after that, I was completely lost. I was young. I'm young now, right? But I was even younger back then. And I didn't know what spiritual leadership looked like. I didn't know where to start, and I certainly didn't know where to end. 
And as I started to think back to my childhood, my dad taught me all kinds of things. He taught me how to build things. He taught me the value of a buck. He even taught me a good work ethic. But when I started to think back about, Dad, did you ever teach me what a spiritual leader looked like? I had to think back that he really didn't. I mean, we went to church, but our conversations about God ended when we left the pew. And we certainly didn't open up the Bible at home. And yeah, if you wanted to call what we did prayer, maybe you could. But they were more like recited words without any power or even any heart behind it. So when my wife looked into my eyes and she told me that she needed a spiritual leader, and I knew nothing about how to attain that, I felt as a complete and utter failure as a man. And so why would I share that with all of you today? Trust me, it's not easy to stand before so many people over multiple services and to look you in the eye and tell you how I failed my wife. But to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure that today there are many men that have the same deer-in-the-headlights look that I had with my wife that you have today when I speak of spiritual leadership. And in the same way, which I believe is even sadder, is that there are a lot of women that are here today that have that same heartache, that same disappointment that my bride had in our marriage early on. And so in the days and the weeks following that conversation, I really wanted to learn what a spiritual leader looked like. And I remember thinking, and this is funny that a man would think this, if only there was a manual that I could read, if only there were some directions, or maybe even like a job description so that I could understand what a spiritual leader was supposed to be. And I remember the internet was just kind of starting to get things on there, and I started researching, and well, there weren't the resources that we have today. And I went to the Christian bookstore. That was a complete lost cause because I didn't know where to start. And then God struck me in a way that only God can strike somebody. And he said, Scott, you don't get it. Everything you need to know is right here. I poured my heart into my love letter to you so that you could understand what spiritual leadership is, so that you could understand what a man of God is, so that you could understand with whatever situation you're facing in your life, how to be able to handle it. And so what I want to do with you today is I want to have a very practical discussion with you about what spiritual leadership looks like. I want to share with you what leadership looks like, more specifically what leadership looks like in a marriage relationship. But before I get there, let me say a couple of things. First of all, and the most obvious one that I should not miss, is that I do not have it together. Obviously, if I share my wife's story, I don't quite have it all together. Yes, I have grown in my leadership roles, but let me tell you something that my wife would tell you as well. I let her down still. I still fall short of the glory of God. So as I share this with you today, I'm walking the same path as you are. We all have our ups and we all have our downs, and so I'm still in that same place of growing in my relationship with God as all of you are. Secondly, I must acknowledge that in a crowd this size, that not everybody here is married. And let me please say this. You do not have to be married. It is totally fine to be married. Maybe it's even better for you not to be married as you hear all that I'm going to share with you today. (laughs) And then I also must share that some of you are married, but you would be considered a spiritual widow or spiritual widower. 
Your spouse doesn't recognize Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And spiritual leadership for you today is not something that you can expect at this point in your relationship. And I'll speak to a little bit more of that a little bit later. But please understand this. Spiritual leadership, as I'm sharing it today, is not just limited to the marriage relationship. If you were to paint spiritual leadership with a real broad, broad stroke, it would be any time you have the opportunity to be able to influence somebody else spiritually, that is spiritual leadership. Your leadership role could be with a child or a grandchild, with a friend, with a coworker, with a family member. There's all kinds of different opportunities that you and I have to be able to influence for the sake of the gospel. Anyone that you have a relationship with or anyone that you're challenging to help them take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. So while today I'm going to share more specifically about leadership in the confines of a marriage relationship, it doesn't mean that if you're not married today that this doesn't apply to you or that you should tune out. Please, please, please don't do that. The principles that I'm going to share with you today are so far-reaching and they are so applicable in so many different relationships. So if you have your Bibles with you today, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll put it on the screen. Also pull your outline out if you could. There's some great points that I'll share with you as we go through our time together this morning. And so here's what God's word says in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So let me unpack that with you this morning and really hit on a number of different areas that Paul gives to us. First of all, spiritual leadership is not a dictatorship, and it certainly is not coercion. Jesus didn't make the church obey him. Jesus drew the church to him with his love. He relates, and what Paul does is he gives us an amazing relationship of the love that a husband is supposed to have for his bride and that which Jesus has for his church. Think for a moment. Think of the depth of the love of Jesus Christ, of the love that he has for the church. And I'm not talking about a building with lights and carpet and all of that. No, I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me, the people of the church. Jesus loved you. He loved me so much that he would pay the ultimate price for all of our sins. That is the depth of the love that a husband should be showing his wife. In fact, the way that I would describe it as is that the kind of spiritual leadership we're talking about is love in action, and in particular, a sacrificial kind of love. And so what does sacrificial kind of love mean, particular in marriage? It means putting the needs and the interests of somebody else above your own. It means that you love your wife with such depth, with such intimacy, with the tenderness and the strength that words can't even describe. See, in order to lead spiritually, you must love as Christ loved you. So practically, how do we apply that? Practically, it means that if your wife wants to share something with you, you listen. It means that if your wife comes up to you, husband, and she says, I really could use your help around the house, maybe even in the kitchen, 
You get up and help. That's for me, not for all of you. That's something I'm learning, right? Uh, Or maybe even this one. It means that maybe you're watching football and your team is going for the go-ahead touchdown and your wife in that moment wants to share something that is profound in her eyes. It means that you turn off the TV and you listen. Whoa! Wait a minute. I think I just lost every man in the congregation just now, right? You were okay with that listening every once in a while. You were okay with even every once in a while getting up and doing the dishes. But the go-ahead touchdown? Are you kidding me? No way! Friend, let me tell you that you cannot go far enough to show the love of Christ to your wife. And if it means that you need to give up the Super Bowl so that your wife knows that she's number one in your life, well, gosh darn it, you probably should turn it off. See, that is what sacrificial love is, is that you show your bride or whoever it is that you have the opportunity to influence how much they mean to you, how important they are to you, how much you love them. That is sacrificial love in action. Another type of love that Paul is describing for us is what I would describe as a purifying love. Paul continues in his passage by saying that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I love how the NIV starts that little passage by saying to make her holy. And what Paul does here is he gives us a word picture and he describes spiritual leadership as washing through the word of God. It means that you open up God's word and you discuss it. It means that you open this up beyond a Sunday morning. It means that you talk about it with your bride. You talk about it with your children. It means that you literally go through it. It means if you have a decision that you need to make that's important or minute, that instead of just making it in your own strength, that you open up the pages of God's love letter and you see how he spoke into that situation. See, washing through the word of God means you open it up. Now, you might be sitting here saying, you know what, I don't know the word very well. I, I open up the Bible and I don't know how to lead someone else because I don't even know how to lead myself. Well, let me tell you very practically, um, I would challenge you to get involved in one of the classes or one of the Bible studies that we offer all year long. There are so many opportunities for you to learn more about what God's word says. And, and I would also say this, is don't go into one of those intimidated as if every single person in one of those classes or Bible studies is a Bible scholar. They're not. Some of them know God's word pretty good. And it would be their honor and privilege to be able to share what they've learned with you. And in the same way, some of the people that are in those classes, um, they're in the same boat as you are wanting to learn more about what God's word says. Or maybe very practically something you literally could do today or this week is take this passage of Ephesians chapter 5 and read it in its entire context. I didn't have a chance to set it all up and go over everything. Read it and see it how it applies to your life, how it applies to your marriage or whoever it is that you have the opportunity to be able to influence. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture comes out of Luke chapter 6 verse 45, which says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what it's saying is that whatever is in your heart is what is going to come out of your mouth. And so if your heart is full of the things of the world, well, then what you're going to talk about are the things of the world. If your heart is full of gossip and deceit, well, then the things that are going to come out of your mouth are gossip 
and deceit. But if your heart is filled up with the word of God and you've allowed it to penetrate deep within you, then what's going to come out when you have the opportunity to influence your bride, your children, or whoever else you get to speak God's truth in is his word. See, washing with water through the word of God is the overflow of your heart. It's sharing what God has poured into you through his spirit. The only way that it's going to happen, though, is by actually picking it up and chewing on it and reading it. So let me broaden the scope of our conversation here for just a moment and go from just a marriage relationship to more of a general form of spiritual leadership. The only way that you can lead somebody else spiritually is if you have been fed spiritually. If your cup is empty, you have nothing to be able to pour out into somebody else. Yet when you allow God to fill your cup through his word, literally what overflows into everything that you say, everything that you think, and everything that you do is his love and his word. The passage continues with, so that he might present himself to the church in may present the church to him in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, to lead someone else spiritually, one must must not be ensnared in sin. On our men's Mexico trip this last month, we had an opportunity to take about 25 guys from four different churches down to this orphanage. And as part of my teaching time, I shared a few of these thoughts. But before I started to share, I asked each of the men to take a survey about their view of marriage, their view of their role as a spiritual leader. And one of the questions that I asked him, I said, what has been the best thing spiritually for you and your wife? And listen to one of, one of the men um, wrote on his response. He said, believe it or not, coming face to face with my addiction and going through the hard stuff together, Christian counseling and getting clean has helped our walk and our relationship with God and with each other immensely. It's interesting that this man would say overcoming addiction and coming clean to his wife, this man was able to grow as the spiritual leader. By being open and real with his bride, the two of them were able to come together and walk through what I'm sure was a very hard season of their marriage. But coming out on this side of it, they're now able to present, he's able to and they are able to present themselves to God as blameless or without stain. Now, please understand something today. I am not saying that you need to be completely pure and innocent or free from sin in order to lead. That isn't possible. The only person that has ever walked on this earth without sin was Jesus Christ. However, what I am saying to you today is that in order to be a spiritual leader, you cannot be ensnared in unrepentant sin. If you find yourself sitting here today and you are in unrepentant sin, your sin is preventing you from leading others into a more meaningful relationship with God. And your sin is keeping you from God's best for your life. Let me speak to that for just a moment. If the people that you spend your time with are dragging you away from God's best in your life, well, friend, maybe it's time that you make some new friends. If you find yourself sitting in front of a computer screen and that computer screen is bringing you to a place of temptation, well, then it's time that you pick up the phone and you call Comcast and you tell them to get the internet out of your house so that that temptation is not in front of you. Or maybe bigger than that, gentlemen, you need to get rid of the computer or the smartphone and get rid of it altogether. Or maybe something that you watch on the television is taking you in your mind to a place that isn't glorifying God. 
Well, let me ask you that all-important question. Is it something you should be watching anyways? Or in the year of 2014, with so many different media opportunities out there, social media, internet, blah, 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 blah. Are all of those different forms of media distracting you from God's word and from his best? And let me ask you a very personal question. Who controls the on-off switch? Do you see the value of living a pure life? First of all, for your relationship with God, but second, for those that you have been entrusted to lead. See, spiritual leadership is a purifying kind of love. Paul continues by saying, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. As I see it this morning, spiritual leadership is also a caring kind of love. I want you to think about your body for a moment. When you're hungry, what do you do? You go and eat. And typically when you eat, you think about what you're putting into your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you try to pick healthy foods that are going to give your body nourishment and energy. And in the same way, when you're sick, you typically go and rest or you seek out extra help. But when you exercise, you exercise to lose weight or so that you have a healthy body. You do all of those things to care for yourself. See, the picture that Paul is giving us here today is that a spiritual leadership is loving with the same kind of care that you would put on this, that you would put on someone else. But here's the problem. We're all selfish beings. Yes, there are varying degrees of selfishness in a group this size. But when push comes to shove, if you're going to have to think about the person behind you or your needs, whose needs are you going to think about first? Probably yours. But what Paul is saying here is this. He is saying that in order to be a spiritual leader, you need to be selfless rather than selfish. Let me say that again. In order to be a spiritual leader, you need to be selfless, not selfish. He's saying in particular to husbands, but in more of a general sense of any spiritual leader, that you should care for others in the same way that you would care for yourself. You should cherish others in the same way that you cherish yourself. In the marriage relationship, you should cherish your bride, you should nourish your bride spiritually as you would feed your body physically. Think about it. You don't go days without eating, nor should you go days without leading. See, spiritual leadership is love in action. It's a sacrificial love. It's a purifying love, and it's a caring kind of love. And spiritual leadership, friends, is a lifestyle. It's not just an appointment. Spiritual leadership is a lifestyle, not an appointment. One of the things that I had a hard time with when I first started to understand what my role is as a husband and as a father in terms of spiritual leadership was that it's not something that you can schedule. It's not something that you can say it's going to happen at 6 o'clock at this day or whatever it is. See, true leadership is not accomplished by saying a prayer before a meal. It's not accomplished with an occasional Bible story after dinner or at bedtime. No, true leadership is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. This morning, I've spent a lot of my time sharing about spiritual leadership, in particular with a husband and a wife. 
what I want to do in the remaining time that we have together today is I want to take you to another passage of Scripture that also speaks to the marriage relationship, but I believe more specifically even hits our other role as spiritual leaders, and that is for the next generation of children and grandchildren. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's on your outline, but I'm going to start one verse before that in verse 5. And here's what it says. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. See, friend, before that you can lead, you have to actually believe. Verse 6 says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. See, spiritual leadership is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. Verses 7 through 9 continue by saying, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's interesting how the text in verse seven says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The NIV translation says to impress them. And the NLT says to repeat them again and again. See, we are to take that commandment of loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And we're to teach it to our children diligently over and over and over and over and over again. That is spiritual leadership. We're supposed to talk about the things of the Lord, things that are eternally significant when we sit in our home. The scripture says when we walk along the path. Now understand in our historical context today, we don't typically walk to get places. We walk recreationally, but not to get from point A to point B. But we do do is we use our cars. And so let me just share a little example from my life is um, I use my transporting my kids from our home to school each and every day as an opportunity to pour into them spiritually. Think about it. They are literally captive audiences. They're not going anywhere. And so we have about a 25 minute drive to get from our home to here at First Baptist where our kids go to school. And we have been very purposeful about leaving the radio off. And here's why is no conversation of any significance can ever be heard over whatever radio station, even K-Love, if it's on in your car. And so we leave the house normally in the morning, and my kids are not real happy because they're not morning people, so it's a pretty quiet drive at the beginning. Let me tell you, silence never killed anyone, and silence with two boys in the back seat is golden. (laughs) So what we do is we typically drive, and about 10, 15 minutes later, sometimes they'll have something that they want to talk about. Other times, they're just quiet. So I'll pull out my phone and I'll pull up the Bible app. It's free. And I turn on God's word and we listen to a chapter or two, sometimes three, in the car. And what that does is it allows our hearts and our minds to really focus in on what God might be saying. There's no agenda on my part. It's not like I planned it and said, okay, today we're going to go through Genesis chapter 37 and this is what I want to teach the kids. There's no agenda. It's just put it on. Sometimes they'll spark some really awkward but funny conversations with my kids um, where I have to explain something I didn't know was coming. Um, But it's really good to be able to have those conversations and an opportunity for spiritual leadership. And as we pull into the parking lot here at First Baptist, what we always do 
is before we get out of the car, either I lead my boys or one of them will choose to volunteer that day and they will lead us in prayer. And we pray that God will have his hand of favor upon us during the day. That God will teach them and me whatever it is that he needs to teach us for that day. And that God will prepare my boys for whatever it is that is in his will in the future through their education today. We go about our days. I pick them up and we head home. Once again, the radio is off. And we normally leave and I ask them the question of, boys, how was your day today? And I get the typical boy answer, if I'm lucky, three words. It was fine. Um, Other times it might just be fine. Every once in a while, a little guy that was uh, just finished kindergarten falls asleep for a few minutes. Um, But it's interesting. By the time we get off of Wilson Way onto 99 headed north, the floodgates start to open. Because it's been silent, and all of a sudden I hear about these high points of their day, and sometimes I hear about the low point of their day, about maybe someone was mean on the playground, or somebody said something to them that just got right to their core. And it's right then that my opportunity is spent right before me to pour into them spiritually. It's right then that I have the opportunity to take whatever it is that they're sharing and relate it to God's word. And I'm not sharing that so that I can get praise. I'm sharing that so that you can do the exact same thing. Because every single one of us has the privilege and the honor to be able to pour into our kids spiritually. And so the passage continues by saying, when you lie down and when you rise. See, spiritual leadership doesn't happen only in the morning and it doesn't happen only at night. It means that throughout your day, you sprinkle your conversations with God's word. Throughout your day, you look for opportunities, albeit simple, ways to share about God's word. Maybe you're around small children or small grandchildren. It means that when that little child picks up a dandelion, you talk to him about how God created it. Or you point up to the sky and you see the clouds and God's splendor. And you say, you know what? The God that created the heavens and the earth created you and he loves you. Or maybe it's with some older kids and and they're sharing about their struggles or about the distractions of this world. And you take them back to God's word and you take them back to maybe something that God taught you when you were their age. You talk about things of eternal significance. Don't limit your conversations to the mundane. The passage concludes with tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, another practical way to really live out spiritual leadership It's to take God's word and put it up in your car. Put it up in your house, in the kitchen, in the bedrooms. I think there is no better place to put up scripture than in the bathroom. What else do you have to do but read it in there, right? And so here's what happens. That's kind of awkward, huh? (laughs) Here's what happens when you take God's word and you put it up all over your house, all over places that you see. First of all, is it acts as an encouragement to you. And then secondly, it acts as a reminder for you to be able to talk about how God's word is significant to you and to the next generation. So how do we live this out practically? First of all, is remember that spiritual leadership, in particular spiritual leadership of children, is not the church's job. It's your job. Talk about what God is teaching you. Pray with your kids. Impress upon them, your children, the significance of not just making a commitment to Jesus, but an intimate relationship with him. Be willing to talk about spiritual things at home. See, I wish I had more time today to be able to go into more passages because there are so many of them that speak to spiritual leadership with your children and spiritual leadership in the marriage relationship. But I also know that if you've never done this before and you hear all this, 
it's actually kind of overwhelming. So can I step back here for a moment? Can I get very personal with you, maybe even step on your toes and ask you a very simple question? How are you leading spiritually? And in what ways could you be a better spiritual leader? So we as a church have a mission statement that we exist to help people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. So friend, what is your next step? Maybe you're sitting here today and you hear about this spiritual leadership thing and this God thing and all that and it's completely foreign to you. Well, maybe your step is to investigate who this Jesus is. Talk with me. Talk with any of the people that are up here. We would love to tell you about how your life, your marriage, and your children could be forever different for the better if you give your life over to Jesus. Maybe your next step is to start praying before a meal or opening up the Bible and reading a passage with your family and talking about how it applies to your life or how it could apply to them. Maybe your next step is removing a distraction that's in your home so that you can focus on more eternally significant things. Maybe your next step is to actually share with people that you're a Christian. Be careful because you're going to have to live it out if you do it. Or maybe your next step is to talk with your kids about the ways that God is challenging you or growing you. See, I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this. If you're going to lead by example, if you're going to stand in the gap for your bride, for your children, for the next generation of believers, you can't just sit there and do nothing. In Ephesians 5, just before the verses I went over today, there was this little passage that talks about submissive wives. Notice that I didn't talk about it. I didn't, not because it's not important or that I'm intimidated by it, but because when a man leads his wife as God has ordained him to do, a wife wants nothing else but to submit to his leadership. Let me say that again. Please don't miss this. When a man leads his wife as God has ordained him to do, a wife wants nothing else than to submit to his leadership. So if you're one of those men that says, woman, submit, submit to the will of God and be the leader, and I promise you, she will come right alongside you and submit to your godly leadership. And if you want to hear more about what biblical submission is, this last week, I believe it was on Wednesday, Focus on the Family had an amazing teaching on biblical submission, and it is a great perspective, and I would challenge you to go and listen to it. You will be blessed hearing it. So let me speak to wives for just a minute as I try to bring all this together and make it very practical. Wives, spiritual leadership doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to put it into practice and for healthy habits to be formed. But when your husband takes a step, albeit a small step, encourage him and don't critique him. I want to let you into a little secret here, ladies. Us men... We're actually sensitive beings. We're actually really sensitive. And if we take that step as a spiritual leader, yes, we might pray and not do it the way you would do it. Yes, we might open up the word and we might not teach it the way you would have done it. Yes, we might want to go do it under a tree and not at the kitchen table formally. But if we take that step, don't you criticize us. Because if you come alongside your husband who just took that little step of putting himself out there and if you criticize him, 
Do you know what's going to happen to that man? He is going to take four steps backwards. He is going to clam up into a shell because he doesn't want to be embarrassed with his bride and he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of anyone for that matter. So wives, if your husband takes that step, and I certainly pray that he does, come alongside him and say, lovey, that's what my wife calls me, is lovey, you did an amazing job in that prayer. Even if you thought it was lame, come alongside him and encourage him. Come alongside him and say, sweetheart, you have no clue how much it meant to me that you opened up to Leviticus and read it to the kids today. (laughs) It doesn't matter what it is. Come alongside your husband and tell him how much it meant to you that he was willing to lead spiritually. And do you know what will happen in your man if you come alongside him and encourage him? He's going to stand up a little bit taller. He's going to walk a little bit higher. And yes, he is going to be like Superman. He is going to think he can bust through walls spiritually. And when you come alongside your man and you fall under his leadership and he takes the leadership that God has given him, your husband will walk through walls spiritually. Walls that have been in your family, walls that have been in your relationship, and walls that have been with your children. So if I could summarize this whole thing together today. If a guy could try to put a pretty little bow on it, here's what I would say. Spiritual leadership, Christians, is not optional. Spiritual leadership is something that every single one of us that call ourselves Christ followers should be doing. Be it with a friend, a coworker, or even a child. And in the marriage relationship, it is God-ordained for the husband to lead his wife and his family. So friends... Are you going to step up and be the leader that God has called you to be?